for tuning in to Jason DeMars Live. Every Tuesday and Friday at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time, I teach on various biblical topics. Get in contact with me at jasondemars.com. Let me know what topics you would like me to cover in future videos. I have free books and tracks available for you to order and shipping is free as well. Make sure to subscribe and click the little bell to get notified when I post a new video. Good morning everyone. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, if you are listening in, please send your greetings. I see a couple people online already. Brother Kenny and Sister Janelle, God bless you. Welcome. Sister Sarah from Edmonton, welcome and God bless you. Greetings to all others who are listening to the live uh, recording or the recording or the podcast. Appreciate you all. You can reach me through jasondemars.com with any questions or prayer requests for me. And we're going to continue talking about the Sermon on the Mount. This is part three, and we're going to be looking and titling this The Law Magnified. The Law Magnified. And you'll see why we're saying that as we read here. Um, we covered that a little bit on Friday. And I just wanted to say, before I get started, um, it's likely that this Friday... I may not have um, a live video. I may be playing a recording. I will be traveling to Fresno, California to visit a little church there and minister to them. So keep me in prayer for traveling mercies. Um, I'll be gone from Friday through Monday, leaving my family behind. So pray for me and pray for them. All right, so we're at Matthew 5, verse 31. Jesus speaking about divorce. Here he's actually giving correction to a false interpretation that has been put forward by the Pharisees. Matthew 5, 31, it's been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife... Let him give her a writing of divorcement. Of course, that's from Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And it's the words of Moses. Verse 32 says, But I say unto you, Now he's not going against what Moses said. He's actually giving the correct interpretation and understanding of what Moses said. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, commits adultery. All right. So the only reason here, scripturally, a man could put away his wife is for the cause of fornication. And we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Deuteronomy 24 to, and read that scripture. But I want to clarify something here, because sometimes this is a misunderstanding. Um, it's a correct and good interpretation of, of 
the cause of fornication causes her to commit adultery. You see, there's two different words. And so people around the message have taken this to mean it's referring only to if your wife had um, committed fornication prior to marriage and deceived you about it, then you have the right to divorce her. But if she committed adultery during your marriage, then you would not have the right to divorce her. And that's a misunderstanding. This word fornication doesn't mean fornication in the sense that our English does. Fornication in this sense is the word porneia, and it means harlotry, and it includes adultery and incest. And it really is referring to any sexual relationship outside of marriage, before marriage, during marriage, after marriage, any time marriage is not involved in the act, it's fornication. So then he, then he come, goes along and says, causes her to commit adultery. Now, what does that mean? If you put your wife away, you cause her to commit adultery. That means that she, if you put her away for any reason, if you put her away for any reason that you want to, she doesn't make the bacon uh, correctly. Of course, that wouldn't be the, the, the case for the Jewish people. But uh, for us, if she doesn't make dinner correctly, if she is... Uh, she frustrated you one time, you could put her away for divorce, according to one of the, the Pharisee school of thought in that day. And Jesus is saying you can't do that, because if you do do that, you're causing her to commit adultery. Why are you causing her to commit adultery? Because she will go and marry someone else, and when she goes and marries someone else, it's an adulterous marriage because she is still lawfully married to you. All right, now, let's look at Deuteronomy 24. Verse 1, When a man has taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because, so there we see, oh, it could be any reason, he just didn't doesn't like her anymore. But then, Moses gives a because, because he has found some uncleanness in her, okay? So she finds no favor because he's found uncleanness. So what is uncleanness? The word uncleanness is the word nudity. Um, nakedness, so... Clearly, Jesus Christ has the correct interpretation of this word. She found no favor in his eyes because she has committed adultery. She has committed fornication. She has committed nakedness. Then, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and set her out of his house. Okay? Then, and when she is departed out of his house, 
she may go and be another man's wife. So Jesus is telling them when she does that, when she does and goes to be another man's wife, she is committing adultery because she's lawfully still married to the original man because their divorce is unscriptural. They're still joined together in God's eyes. And whosoever marry her that is divorced commits adultery. So the man that marries her and her are committing adultery when they're divorced outside of her causing fornication. Um, uh, and of course we understand, again, the law is magnified. Under, under the law, she's allowed to do it. Under grace, let's look what he Paul says. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, that, so that she is no, no adulteress, though she be married to another. So, it's clear in that scripture that a woman is not to remarry. She's not to remarry unless her husband is passed away. And so when he's passed away, when he is dead, she can get married again. But if he's alive, she's bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. Amen. And in almost every case, a man that divorces should also remain unmarried unless his wife has passed away. Because it's a very narrow, it's a very narrow reason that a man could be remarried. And the reality is most circumstances uh, the man is also guilty and would be in a situation where he cannot get remarried. It's very narrow. Matthew 5.33 Again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, You shall not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oath. Uh, the word forswear there means to commit perjury. In other words, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not lie but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But, Jesus says, verse 34, But I say unto you, swear, make, make no oaths, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because you cannot make one hair, hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, and nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these 
cometh of evil. Alright, so... I, looking at this, looking at this verse, we understand we're not to, we are to live in such a way that when we say yes, we don't need to swear, I swear I'm telling the truth. No, your life speaks enough to where you, people would know that your yes means yes and your no means no. No oath is needed, no swearing is needed. And beyond that is um, this, this life where uh, I would even say just about new, even New Year's resolutions. It's like you come around to this time of year and you make promises that you're going to do this or going to do that. And Jesus says, just do what you're supposed to do. Just do the right thing. There's no need to make a big fanfare about it and say, I swear on my life I'm going to do this. I swear, people say this, I, I, I hate to even say it, I, I, I swear to God, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. No. A Christian doesn't need to do that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't, don't go beyond. There's no need to go beyond that. Your life should speak of your integrity. Verse 38. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain, give to him that asks thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. And so... Again, this is the law of Moses, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What people have done to this scripture, they've taken that from the judiciary sense of speaking of the, uh, the legal system of the Jews that was put in place by the Lord, this was for judges. Judges were to enforce the law in this way, but people took that and applied it to their personal life. Jesus is correcting that. He's saying that is not for your personal life. That is for the judges to decide. For your personal life, what I tell you to do is don't resist evil. If someone slaps you in the face, offer the other part of your face. Don't retaliate. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Let Him, let Him accomplish His purpose and justice. And if anyone will sue you at the law and take away your coat, give him your cloak also. 
So this would be like saying if someone uh, sues you for your coat, give him your shirt also. So don't resist the evil. Don't go against it. Just say yes. Of course, a Christian would never behave himself in such a way where he gets sued. But if he's sued because of his faith or something that has something to do with the Word of God, there's no compromise on that. We take our stand. But if someone is suing you um, for a personal belonging or t trying to take something that belongs to you, give it to them. Here it says, Whoever shall compel thee to go a mile, um, there, is in, there was in the Roman times, as, the, as Rome being the conqueror, and people in Israel not having rights as citizens, um, they could be compelled to carry um, carry items for people in the Roman military for a mile. And Jesus is saying, if they compel you to carry their stuff for a mile, instead of going a mile, take it two miles. Carry it two miles for them. Give to him that asks, and from him that would borrow, turn not thou away. Again, this is a general principle. This is, uh, this is speaking of situations where someone is in need. Give, give to them, help them. Someone that would uh, borrow something from you, uh, turn them not away. A needy person, don't turn them away. Lend to them. Do good to them. Help them. Amen. Uh, verse 43, You have heard that it hath been said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So, Number one is, this is a false interpretation. It does say you shall love your neighbor, but it never, ever says to hate your enemy. Um, this is a misinterpretation and a misunderstanding of the word. So Jesus is bringing, in this sense, bringing correction and magnification to the law. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. All right, so... Love your enemies. And then he breaks that down. What does it mean to love your enemies? Does that mean to have a fu warm fuzzy in your heart? Oh, I just feel so warmly about this person that despises me. No, that's not what it means. I'm going to take a minute to 
uh, greet some people here. Sister Jay, God bless you. Brother Aaron, good morning and God bless you. Sister Mai, God bless you. Uh, Sister Chantel, good morning. Uh, Brother Langston, God bless you also. Greetings to you, Sister Rhonda. I'm just reading one of these statements. Uh, When the divorced, back to what I was talking about marriage, when the divorced couple, one of them dies, it releases the living one, and the living one is considered a widow, correct? Or widower. That's correct, and it releases them so then they can get the person when they're spouse, even if they were divorced, their spouse passes away, uh, that gives them a right to remarry. Alright, so what does it mean to love your enemy? It means to, to bless them. It means to do good, do good things for them. It means to pray for them. So, That's love. It's not about a warm, fuzzy feeling that you have inside. Love is action. Bless them, do good, pray for them. Uh, Matthew 5.45, we read just a portion of that, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God loves his enemies. The unjust are enemies. In fact, we're all born to a state where we are enemies with God. We are at enmity with God. Christ reconciles us, but we are born into a nature and a state that leaves us at enmity with the Lord. And God does good to those who are his enemies. He provides for them and, and gives his son gives warmth, gives food, and provides for their needs. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans, do not even the tax collectors do the same? So, of course, it's speaking of men of the worst character who are the most hateful to the Jews, partly because of, of their business was collecting the Roman tax and partly because many of them were uh, Jews themselves be looking at as betrayers of their own people. So he's saying the ones we look down on as the worst traitors also love people that love them. Are we, are we, we're to be better than them. We're to love people that hate and despise us. Amen. And if you salute, uh, salute speaks of a greeting. Um, It says, if you salute, the word literally means to enfold in the arms, or to welcome, to embrace, to greet. So if you embrace, or if you welcome your brethren only, 
What do you more than, the, than others? Do not even the tax collectors so? So even the tax collectors hug and welcome their brothers. We're supposed to do more. Our life is supposed to be higher than that. And what does he say? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be there, oh my goodness. So if God demands to us to be perfect or complete, as the, even as the Father in heaven is perfect, he has to make a way for that. Um, and of course, he does so by the blood of Christ. But even beyond that, if you look at this verse and its context, it's speaking about, about loving your enemy. And he's telling us here to be perfect. In Luke 6.36, it says, Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So it's not, it's not necessarily speaking about a degree of the same degree of perfection that God is. None of us can ever, under any circumstances, reach the same degree of perfection as our Father in heaven. We have perfection imputed to us by the blood of Christ. But what this is saying here is we should love as God loves. We should love our neighbor and we should love those that hate us just the same way that he does. That perfection is speaking of completion. Another way you look in the Old Testament, the word speaks of being upright. It speaks of it speaks of a morality. It speaks of a righteousness, and so Christ is calling us to be imitators of God, to live in that state of perfect love. Well, only God can bring that in the heart of man. We can't bring that on ourselves. We can't achieve that on ourselves. And that's the purpose of the new covenant. That's why God is taking His Spirit, putting it inside of us, and writing the, His law on our hearts and in our minds. And it's beyond outward obedience, but it's a heart changed that desires to walk with God. A heart transformed into a desire and a passion for obedience to the Word. All right, brothers and sisters, God bless you. Just remind you to keep me in prayer. I'm going to be going to Fresno on Friday, coming back next Monday. Um, I will probably have a recording for you on Friday to watch. So appreciate you all listening in. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful rest of the week. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you for listening to Jason DeMar's live podcast. New episodes are posted every Tuesday and Friday. We thank you all for listening in. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, 
or YouTube to watch the video portion of this. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you.